We all went to civics class and uh, one of the fundamental concepts of democracy is checks and balances. So no one branch of government, no one person or entity in any state has absolute authority. Moore v. Harper could upend all of that by essentially eliminating checks and balances. And checks and balances is so fundamental to our system of democracy here in the United States. If the U.S. Supreme Court were to rule in favor of Moore, it would give legislatures in all 50 states inordinate amounts of power over all of the details of elections. Voters across the country really need to pay attention to what's going on. This case is coming out of North Carolina, but it can have an impact on elections in every state in the country. And we should never want to concentrate too much authority in just one institution. And that is what is at stake in Moore v. Harper. All right, so welcome to the Truth and Democracy Coalition's monthly meeting. My name is Rich Procida. I'm the founder of the Truth and Democracy Coalition and the host of the Truth and Democracy podcast. Today, we bring you psychologist Dr. George Simon to tell us how to recognize character disturbance in politicians and leaders and perhaps even in ourselves. But before we begin, I want to tell you a little bit about the Truth and Democracy Coalition and about our upcoming events. The Truth and Democracy Coalition was formed to build a pro-democracy movement in America. We educate the public about disinformation, teach people to be critical of the propaganda they consume, and provide critical analysis of current events and social issues. We produce media and educational materials, hold seminars and meetings, work with other organizations, and organize events and activities geared toward building a pro-democracy movement in America. The coalition seeks to build communities of different of people of different faiths and ideologies to defend and promote democracy locally, nationally, and globally. And next month, on April 16th at 2 p.m. Pacific time, I will be speaking with diversity, equity, and inclusion specialist Sandaya Jha about whether America is a racist nation. Ms. <laughs> Jaw is an anti-oppression consultant who helps organizations get diversity, equity, and inclusion teams off the ground. Sandaya is an ordained minister and a, with a master's in public policy, the founder and former executive director of the Oakland Peace Center, and the author of Rebels, Despots, and Saints, The Ancestors Who Free Us and the Ancestors We Need to Free. So to register for that, go to tinyurl.com slash America Not Racism. And in May, and we haven't finalized the date or the um, time, but we're going to have Harvard-educated American moral philosopher, cultural commentator, and SAS professor Susan Neiman come talk to about us to talk to us about her new book, Left Is Not Woke, 
and we'll be providing more information about that. Now let's turn to the day's discussion. You know, I believe that we have an epidemic of narcissism in America. <laughs> Our collective narcissism leads often leads to the election of narcissistic and character disturbed candidates like newly elected congressman george santos for example is a habitual liar the people who elected him are now calling for him to resign donald trump repeatedly lied about the election and republican leaders parroted those lies for nearly a year and many are still doing so many arizona democrats feel that senator kristen cinema turned against them in what feels more like a political murder-suicide than an attempt to get reelected. And the question is, why did she do that? And politicians are notorious for telling lies and weaving together half-true and divisive narratives in order to gain notoriety, raise money, and win elections. There are two main reasons people get into politics and political activism. The first is to make a positive difference in the world, whatever that person believes that to be. The second is to benefit themselves. And I got that from Adam Schiff, who said that. Most politicians have some combination of both, but some are primarily in it for themselves. Whether it's aggrandizement, power, or money, how do we distinguish between those who are ill-motivated and those with more altruistic characteristics. Dr. George Simon is an internationally recognized authority on narcissism and other disturbances of personality and character. He has appeared on CNN, MSNBC, HBO, CBS, and Fox News as the author of bestsellers, The Judas Syndrome and Character Disturbance, The Phenomenon of Our Age, he is also the principal of author of How Did We End Up Here? and Essentials for the Journey, Embracing and Living the Ten Commandments of Character, Proven Principles for a Psychologically Healthy and Rich Spiritual Life, and his groundbreaking book in Sheep's Clothing, Understanding and Dealing with Manipulative People, was the first to describe covert manipulative personalities and introduce the concept currently known as gaslighting. It has been published in over 25 languages and countries, and he's also the principal composer of the patriotic anthem, America, My Home. Welcome, Dr. Simon. Thank you, Rich. Glad to be with you today. The founders focused on people pursuing their interests, but yeah. there's, uh, and they sort of assumed that they couldn't get people to pursue the common good. And yet that is the basis from reading your book. That is a very important thing for people to do and to become. Yeah. But it, take, it takes maturity of character to appreciate that fact. That's my point. We have forgotten all that it takes to forge character in a human being. We are not natural good people. We are brutes. We are, we are self-serving, selfish, ego-driven, selfish, entitled. All that stuff comes naturally. Mm -hmm. You have to learn better. Mm -hmm. And 
society has to be structured in such a way that it makes you learn better. Mm. We have so much and it's handed. What's the reason? If somebody can get elected by bare face lying, what's the incentive to do otherwise? Mm -hmm. Now, one of the problems is, is that we don't really know who our leaders and political candidates are. I'm not talking just about political candidates, but the leaders of our movements. We don't really know them. We have an image of them. And so it, are there things that we can look for it, when, we, when we're just presented with a, they're presenting us an image, not really who they are? Yes. Yeah. Is, is there anything we can look for? Uh, well, I outlined those principles in my latest book, Essentials for the Journey. Um, you, can, you can judge more by behavior than anything else. Past behavior is the single most reliable predictor of future behavior. And so what you really need to do is look at somebody's behavioral record. Now, I won't mention any names, but we've had some politicians who had real trouble during their campaigns because um, they were so focused on themselves and their power that they ended up basically abusing even those who were trying to help them get elected. Mm -hmm. What makes anybody think that they will behave any differently in office with more power? Now, past behavior is the thing, but you, you have to know what to look for. You have to know what principles of behavior make for good character. Talk is cheap, as the old adage says. Anybody can say anything. And the one thing that manipulative people know better than anything is what you want to see and what you want to hear and what it is that you need. And all they have to do is say, I will be your champion. Mm -hmm. That's all they have to do. Yeah. Sometimes the flaws are seem obvious, like you say, you know, they, candidates can say outrageous things. They like to stir up grievances. And sometimes they're stirring up grievances on us, too, that we don't really critically examine what's being said to us. So we can see it how the other side is false, but we can't see the falsehood that's being directed towards us. And, and so they're stirring up grievances to get attention, to gain power, to rally people. And... What's going? Why do people still vote for them? You know, why are people attracted to narcissists and abusers like that? Why? Why are people not, you know, making excuses for these people still supporting even after, for example, Fox News has been sued for for lying? Why is anybody still watching it? You know, why are people still attracted to Trump? Why? Why is all all of this still happening? Okay, I, I'm I'm going to get myself in even more trouble here <laughs> because I think that these are the wrong questions to ask, and I think that we tend to look in all the wrong places for the answer. We are the answer. This is the noble experience 
the noble experiment of freedom. We are the answer. They are not the answer. They never were the answer. They never will be the answer. I'll just give you a couple of glaring behavioral proofs of that. Many years ago, some maybe, maybe well-meaning folks decided it was time to de declare war on poverty. And we have chairs in offices in buildings with tens of thousands of people honoring the laws passed to end it all and supporting the structures put into place to end it all. That was 40 years ago. Where's the end of it? Mm -hmm. There is nothing that we can't do for ourselves better and more effectively and more longer lasting. There's nothing that we can't do better ourselves than any government structure or any promising politician probably can. It all starts with us and our character. So we need not look to what next law we need to pass. We have hundreds of millions of laws on the books. Fact check that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I know that. I'm a lawyer. Yeah. One, one more law is not going to fix it. Yeah. It starts right here. Yeah. Right here. Yeah. One at a time. Okay. And that's what we need to recover. The, the, the atmosphere will change as we change. Mm. Government has to teach a single thing. You know, you know, I worked with the Department of Correction in my state for many years, first as a consultant and then working with some of the most difficult people and assessing them. And it, it just boggled my mind that of, of free societies, we have a higher percentage of our population severely restricted in some way, either put away someplace with the key thrown away or in some other restrictive environment that any other free society on the planet ever has. And we have a waiting list a mile long. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, the bed space is so short because there are so many dysfunctional people out there, so many people who basically live the law of, 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 of the of the jungle on the streets um, that we can't get them in the door fast enough. And you have to do something really egregious. You have to, you have to um, break your probation, uh, violate it for the umpteenth time uh, in many cases. Yes, there are, there are travesties too, but all, sometimes the numbers don't tell all the story. You know, I, I was talking uh, just a, a little bit ago with about this. There are there are certainly tragic cases where people who don't have the money for a decent uh, attorney, et cetera, um, uh, get railroaded and, and are treated unjustly. So there's injustice in the system, no question. But there are also individuals who we know uh, are very, very bad actors. And the only way we've been able to um, deal with them is to finally maybe uh, get them on a smaller crime 
you know, it was Al Capone did many, many things besides evade his taxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what they were able to get him on, you see. So you can't just look at the statistics and say, oh, my goodness, the system is so broken. It's we who are broken. It's the fact that there are so many of us who can't function decently. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. Let's take a look at that. And let's take a look at why that's true, despite the fact that we have programs and programs and programs and housing programs. Why are there any? Why? I thought we fixed that. I thought we uh, we have a, uh, it would boggle your mind to know just the the budget of the Department of Human uh, Housing and Urban Development. Why are the, why is anybody on the streets? Yeah. We, government is not gonna fix this for us. Mm -hmm. If it's gonna get fixed, we're gonna fix it. We're gonna take our power back. We're gonna take our voice back. We're going to take the responsibility back. Mm-hmm. We're going to be that stand-up person. Yeah. You know, I do social security disability law, and I know that you've worked with in the corrections with probably some very severe abusers. And I like to, I sometimes say that sometimes I work with the worst they let out of prison. And, um, but I've always thought, you know, and I think a lot of people still think this, that abuse leads to more abuse, that somehow anybody who abuses a child, for example, was abused themselves, hurt people, hurt people. You know, and, and But that's not really the case, is it? No, not always the case at all. As a matter of fact, it's increasingly rarely the case. These days, who hurts people more than anything are entitled, spoiled, selfish, greedy, character deficient people who just simply never grew up. And here's the thing I, I say this in all my training workshops. At a moral development level, so many of us, so many of us today are unfortunately about four years old. And the one thing you don't want to do is give the keys to the car to the Mm four-year-old. Because first of all, they don't know how to operate it. Even if they don't have evil intent, they're going to wreck it and they might just kill somebody in the process. And yet, we hand the reins of great power to people who are at a moral development level of a four-year-old. That's on us. And besides which, there's nothing that government can do for us outside of maybe providing the shield that we need against uh, a foreign attacker. Mm -hmm. Nothing that we can't do for ourselves better. But are are there actions that we can take as a community to protect our communities and from the harms, you know, are there things that we can do to maybe, um, like, I guess what we're doing right now is one of those things, you know, to to educate people about about character disturbance. Um, are there things that we can do? Absolutely, to- absolutely. You know what? We have the power to show up at that school board meeting and voice our legitimate concern without name calling, without finger pointing without condemnation, without prejudgment, 
without already thinking we know the answer before even the questions are asked. Uh, we have the power to, um, <laughs> to approach all of our human enterprises with a right-minded heart, with an open heart. So many times in our political discussions, we think the whole object of having a discussion is to tell the other side how stupid they are or misguided they are, or how much better things would be if they would just agree with our platform or our view. We're not listening to each other. We're not, we're not even taking each other seriously. And I think one begets the other. Whenever there's a, 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 a push too hard without enough mindfulness in one direction, there's an inevitable pushback. In Eastern philosophy, they call that kind of yin and yang. This is a kind of an inevitable kind of thing in life. And we have it within ourselves to be that person who shows up to any encounter with nothing but the right heart. But that's what character is all about. All right. Very good. One of the things that is sort of controversial on the left is religion, particularly Christianity. Let me let these two people in here. Um, and we have some types of disinformation being spread about that. Um, as to the role of Christianity and all of that in our in our society and the role of religion, perhaps we've we've made it so personal and not very public. And I noticed that in your writings has a Christian component. I mean, you titled books uh, "Embracing and Living: The Ten Commandments of Character," right. the, Ju the Judas Syndrome, and right. in sheep's clothing. They're all references to Scripture. Right. So, why is Christianity important to you, and how has it influenced your work? Oh, gosh. Uh, it's because I can't find anything. I can't find anything wrong with the character of the person that Christians claim to follow. Yeah. That's why. And I can't find anything wrong with the way of being and living that that person of character advocated. And it turns my stomach to see people who uh, claim to worship this person behave the way they do. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll quote somebody, a writer that I really, really love, and a spiritual guide who I really, really love, and said, he said recently, uh, Jesus never asked anyone to worship him, only to follow his, his way, <laughs> only, only to follow the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the way of living and being that he was trying to advocate. And I'll be the first to admit that I fail at that, mm -hmm. but I don't make any apologies for finding nothing wrong in either his character or his message. Yeah, I 
I often tell people that a lot of people think that religion should be separate from our political discussions. And yet, you know, loving our neighbor, welcoming the foreigner, treating the foreigner as one native born or welcoming the stranger, um, lifting up the lowly, bringing, um, bringing down the powerful, leaving the rich empty. These are all things that we want people coming into the polling booth with that type of moral development. And in my life, actually, Christianity was a big reason why I chose to work and do social security disability. I felt that, you know, I would be building up my treasure in heaven by helping the poor and and the ethical and moral standards that were laid out in scripture that I absorbed were ones that were positive and have made me um, who I am, not the perfect character, obviously, I've had my problems. Um, but we, we, it's not a struggle between religion, no religion, or no Christianity, or Christianity and politics. It's, it's both sides need to take those values and those beliefs into the polling pool, both, and we need to confront those, right, like you said, who are using scripture for their own self-aggrandizement or to do evil and use scripture instead to do good. Right. And, you know, it, it, it should be said that there are plenty of people who don't identify as either particularly religious or Christian that don't profess any faith, who have some pretty decent character uh, and who live admirable lives. So you don't need to be, you know, like I said, talk is cheap. Talking the talk takes no effort at all. All you have to do is open this orifice and clap your jaws. It's all it takes. Being good is difficult. It involves sacrifice. It takes real love. I believe that's what this person I claim to follow was advocating. Um, I just happen to personally believe that's what it was all about. I believe that's what his life was all about. I take it very seriously, more seriously these days than I've ever taken it. But talk is cheap. It's all in our actions. And we have the power to do it all. Who can stop any one of us from recognizing someone in need and who needs a little bit of help? or who is hungry and needs something to eat? Who can stop any one of us from doing any of that? We've tried turning it over to government, and by the way, the government is spending billions to solve the problems, and they're not solved. Mm -hmm. They won't be that way. We have thrown our money away, and what we've done is we've divested us uh, ourselves of the burden of good character. Mm-hmm. That, you know, when, when in, in, in basic uh, behavioral psychology, you know, if you want behavior to, to uh, occur more frequently, you reinforce it. And if you want behavior, undesirable behavior uh, to uh, take over, You basically set an environment where it's very possible. And in these days and times, the way we've allowed things to become structured, 
there's basically no reason to be good. <laughs> mm, yeah. Or who sees the profit in it? Right. You know? Yeah, there's a lot of people. Go ahead. I can remember when a sports team owner, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm using the, a, a similar example twice, but it's the only thing I can think of at the moment. I can remember when team owners uh, would assess people's talents and would have to make decisions. And when they would make a decision like, you know what, this person has all the talent in the world, but they also have a track record. And there's at least even the possibility that they could bring dishonor to this noble enterprise. And so, you know what, no matter how much talent they have, and no matter how much they could help us win the pennant or the, the Stanley Cup or this or that, whatever prize it is, um, I'm sorry, we we can't accept them. We need to hold ourselves to a higher standard. Yeah. I can remember those days, and I'm not that I I admit I'm old. I'm 75 years old, so I'm I'm there, you know. Yes. But I'm not that old that I can't remember a very, very different mindset about character.